Thank you, worship team. Thank you so much. Hello, everyone. Great to see you. Welcome to the 2.30 service and our new series starting today, a series on the revolution within. The revolution, the life within. Today, my series is entitled uh, the, the, the Seizing the Life. And next week, we'll be having the title from Jonathan on the presence-driven life. The week after, we'll be looking at life killers, what can kill and hinder our advancing and the life that we so need for our time. And also there, also at the final end of the week, we'll be looking at releasing that life. This is balanced and coupled with um, building on our last series of visions and dreams. Because to attain our visions and dreams, we need this life. We need this God-given power that's been deposited in each and every one of us. But we just need to come to a place to tap in to that life, to type in to that resource. And then also Soul Talk. Soul Talk starting next week. Opportunity there to, to, to go deeper into the things of God. Through relationship with one another, through, through um, um, purposeful communication, we come to a place to begin to surface this life of living waters. Why don't you turn with me to Psalm 27. Psalm 27, a, a psalm of David here, an exuberant declaration of his faith and, uh, and, and life that he had with him, birthed from his relationship and all that he had gone through with the living God on his journey so far. And he says these words, The Lord is the, my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against to eat, came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and they fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise up against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have decide, de desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in, the temple of, for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore I'll offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. He is a man who learned to live off the life of the living God. He is a man who had seen and witnessed firsthand the power of God in his life through many trials and seen him time and time and time again come through for him and reveal his majesty and reveal his power. He is a man who had learned to tap into the life of the living God. The poem presents a strong desire to live in God's presence. The phrase, dwell in the house of the Lord, expresses his desire to always be in the presence of the living God. Seeking his face, face, seeking God's presence was his highest purpose above anything else in his life. He desired to seek his face. He knew that all he needed was in his presence, in the life of the living God. It was the life that he lay hold to seize in every sphere of his life, in everything he did, in everything he said, in every action, he desired nothing more than to seize the life of the living God. He was active. He pursued it. He wasn't passive, but he had a revelation of it. He had experienced it, and he wanted a drink of it till it was overflowing and pouring out in all of his life. Let's just bow our heads right now and let's start in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this service. We thank you we can come here peaceably before you to learn more of you, to desire more of you, to press into you. We thank you for your presence. And I pray that this year, through this service, that you will stir us up to a new level in seeking you and desiring you above all things. Let any obstacle that hinders us from coming into the full life and presence of your majesty be brought down low to its correct perspective in your sight. Father, we desire your majesty. We desire a greater wisdom and revelation of you and the life that lives within us. And we pray 
for the understanding and the knowledge and the know-how of how we may tap into that resource and may overflow in our lives and may it bring glory to your name and advance the kingdom in this age. Lord, we thank you and we pray for your Holy Spirit to be upon us here this afternoon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So where else in the Bible do we see somebody who actively wanted to pursue this life? Not necessarily because they had a revelation of God's goodness, of what he had done, but somebody who needed it above anything else. Somebody who wanted it more than anything. The woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5, 24 to 34. Why don't you turn with me there? And let's see a little bit more about this woman who needed to pursue God more than anything else. Mark 2, 24 to 34. Excuse me if I'll find my way. There was a great multitude that was following Jesus because of the great miracles that he was carrying out. There was a huge crowd thronged around him, it says in the previous chapter in verse 24. And our certain woman, she had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus... She came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you. And you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her. Who had done this thing? But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. You see this woman here. She had been considered unclean. Because of her issue. And anyone she touched ceremonially in that time would also be made unclean. But still her desire and her passion to lay hold of this hope that she had. That rated far beyond anything else that she needed in that life at that time. A woman who had suffered for 12 years of this illness. She needed the life-giving power that she witnessed Jesus operating in. And she was so desperate... She would do anything just to lay a hold of it. She had spent all that she had, the scriptures said, on doctors. And none of it had made her well. But in fact, the condition actually grew worse. Here, she let go of all of her fears. She let go of all of her inhibitions. And she pressed through this crowd to get the source of life that she so needed. Jesus looked around, or as better Um, translated or literally kept on looking around. He wanted to find this lady. He wanted to affirm this lady. He knew that power had departed from him. And he must have been encouraged by determination and her zeal to lay a hold of this power and this life that healed at that very moment this issue that no one else could heal in that time. No man, no amount of money, Nothing could do it. Just that one touch of the life-giving power of the Lord Jesus. She didn't care about the obstacles that were away. No fear of man, but just a woman in need of the life-giving power. Similarly, why don't you turn with me to Mark 2. And again, we see a group of four men here. We see a group of four men with a paralytic man. And again... Jesus, in full flow of his ministry, is in a home teaching. 
And these four men with a paralytic man needed to get this man to Jesus to get his healing. And it says, and again he entered Capernaum. And after some days, and it was heard that he was in a house, immediately many gathered together, so there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof of where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. You see here, not only did they have to battle with the crowds, just like the woman with the issue of blood, to press through and get through to Jesus, but also these men, their hunger and their desire to see their friend well, pressed through the crowd that was outpouring from the home where Jesus was. They got on top of the roof. The roof would have been flat and most likely tiled in that time. And they made a way to break through that building to get into the presence of Jesus that they may receive his life-giving power that was permeating from him. They needed a touch from heaven and they were going to do anything, no matter what it took to get there. Their desire overrode again everything and every obstacle and every fear was secondary to their desire of getting in to the presence of the living God. Now, these are people that needed it. These are the people that wanted it. But I want us to turn to Genesis 27. And overlooking the story of Genesis 27 through to 28, we know the story of Jacob. And we'll ask, what is it that brings us to desire this life-giving power more than anything else? We know the story Jacob is there, his older brother Esau, and their mother Rebekah. Their father was Isaac. And Isaac is dying. He's of old age. He's struggling to see. He's in his deathbed. And Esau, the elder son, is asked by Jacob if he would go and make his favorite dish. It was a savory dish, a dish of game. And Esau was a hunter, he was a man of the field. And Jacob called him in, he said, Son, please go make my favorite dish, that I may eat it, and that I may bless you. Off Esau went into the field to go get his catch and to prepare his father's favorite deal for him. And Rebekah, the mother, with Jacob, her favorite son, said, Quickly, Go and get prepared. While your brother is away, go to your father Jacob. I shall make the meal that he's desiring. Go and pretend to be your brother. So in fact, he'll lay his hands upon you and bless you for everything that you need. At that point, Jacob, not really questioning that it was wrong what he was doing, but more fearful that he'd been caught out, went away put on his brother's clothes so he would smell like his brother. He said to his mother, but my brother has got hairy arms. He's a hairy man and I'm a smooth man. He's got, I've got smooth arms. He, my father might feel me and be able to see that I'm not Esau. She said, don't worry about that. I will cut off some of the skin of the goat of what I'm preparing for the meal and we can lay it on your arms or on the, or on the skin of your neck. So it will be as if you are your brother. You're wearing his clothes so you'll smell like him. Go, do what I tell you to do. They did exactly what they did. And Jacob tricked Isaac into his birthright. And Jacob, uh, Isaac prayed upon him. When Esau found this out, he was furious. He was furious. And Isaac also was furious. And Rebekah heard what Esau said. And he said, I want to kill Jacob for what he has done. And Rebekah, the mother, said, go, run. Go to my uncle Laban's house. Go take refuge there until your brother calms himself down. 
Jacob picks up his kit and he says, I'm out of here. Off he goes. He goes running after Laban, his uncle. But there's a point here where Jacob, also translated a deceiver or supplanter, or also translated the one that grabs at one's heel, he tripped his brother up. He deceived him. He deceived God. He deceived his father. And he needed to get out of there for what he had done. Isaac could not reverse the blessing that he had laid down upon Jacob at that point. But he came to a place fleeing from God, deserving absolutely nothing from God. But here we see a tremendous revelation and understanding of God's grace in Jacob's life. Verse 10, 28 verse 10. We continue with the story. Jacob went out from Bathsheba and he went towards Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and he behold a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were according, were, were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you. Wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Is he speaking to the same Jacob here? The same Jacob that had just deceived his brother? That had deceived his brother? Is this the same Jacob that God is offering to bless and to pour out his blessing on and to, to be with him and to return him back to the place of blessing? And Jacob arose from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head to sleep on. He set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. That word Bethel is translated the house of God. Here, what a tremendous example of the love and grace of a living God. And what a response we see from Jacob. He knew that he deserved nothing of what God was now declaring to him in this supernatural dream. He says, I am with you. Right when Jacob was running away from the consequences of his lies, God mercifully chose to reaffirm him, his promises. Jacob was in no position whatsoever to earn God's favor. Yet God promised to be with him. And we can see the response of Jacob coming to rise up, saying, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he, and he was afraid and said, he was afraid. There's a key thing there. In the glory and the presence of the living God, there's fear. When you get to witness his majesty and his glory and his grace, there's a fear. There's a humble reverence of his majesty and his glory. But in a mix of this fear is his goodness and his, and his abounding mercy. And he dedicated that place to the living God. And he said, this is Bethel. This is the house of God. You see, what brings us a desire to seek, to seize this life? It's a revelation of the overwhelming grace of God and what he's done in your and I's life through the blood 
and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. When we truly come to that place of revelation, of what he saved us from and what he's saving us to, we come to our knees and we go, this is the house of God. Jacob was a changed man from this point. He rose up. Yes, he did go to his uncle's home. There was still a lot of outworking that God needed to do in his life and his character. He tested him. He promised he desired that Rachel, his wife, and he made agreement with the uncle Laban that he would labor for seven years to attain his wife, Rachel. He was deceived and he got Leah instead. He was deceived by Laban. Furious he must have been, but faithful he was, so desiring his wife, Rachel, that he pursued for another seven years being faithful to what he wanted. And eventually, he got his wife. And throughout that whole process, Jacob's heart had changed. He had experienced the overwhelming grace of God, and now he was desiring him more and more. And God was kicking that, that, that supplanter nature out of him. And he was making him a faithful man to the services of God. And you see, that happens when you and I get a revelation of the grace of God in our lives, what he saved us from. We will come to a place where we desire nothing more than to please him and to serve him and to seek him more and more and more in our lives. I don't know if you've been in a place in your lives where I know I have a time where I wasn't walking with the Lord in my young years. All I desired about was the things that I wanted. All I desired about was my career. And we pressed on to the things of God. And when I hit a rocky time in my life, because I knew God deep down, I was raised up in a, in a home where my mother, mother loved the Lord and fed me the word, but I was going my own way. And every time I went to a challenging phase in my life, I used to cry out to the living God and ask him to help me. Please come through for me, Lord. Please, I'll be on my knees. And I'd get through that tough time. And I'd forget my prayer, forget that I cried out to the living God. And I'd carry on in my own merry way. I'd hit another obstacle in my life again and I'd be on my knees. Lord, please help me through this time. And then he'd pull me through again. And it was a continual process of this happening until I came to a point in my life where I was walking across the dance floor at a wedding. And this lady came up to me and said, Chris, she grabbed me by the arm, an old lady, said, Chris, so great to see how well you're doing and all that you have achieved in your career. I said, oh, well, thanks very much more wanting to get to the bar than talk to some old lady who just grabbed me on the dance floor. I said, thank you. I wanted to get on my merry way. And she said, no, hold on. Do you know that me and your mother prayed for you, was praying for you every single day when you were going through all the challenges that you were going through in your life. At that very moment, something hit my heart. Something arrested me. And tears started to roll down my cheeks. And I was a proud man. And I thought, what are you doing, Chris, in public crying? People cannot see you crying. So I quickly wiped away my tears, and I went to run out of the hotel where I was, where the dance floor was. It was my brother's wedding. And just as I was running out, my mother got hold of me now. <laughs> she looked at me with tears in my eyes and said, Christopher, what's wrong with you? And I said, Mom. I didn't realize that all this time, all through my life, you have been praying for me. And she was five foot three, a tiny thing, grabbed me, poked me in the chest with her four fingers, and she said, yes, and God is not finished with you yet. <laughs> this was the final breaking point. My heart broke tears streaming down my eyes that I could not stop. I ran down to the toilets, embarrassed of the hotel, locked myself in, sprawled myself on the floor, 
uncontrollably crying. And I said, Lord, 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 I cannot live the life that you want me to live. It's impossible. My whole identity, everything I am is wrapped up in my career, is wrapped up in what I do and what I am. I cannot do it. I know the life I should be living. But I saw, I'd seen before me, in my mind's eye, clearly, that all the times in my life that I'd cried out to God, and then afterwards brushed him aside and carried on my merry way, every single time, I saw before me a vision and a picture of all those key scenes in my life. And I actually saw that it was the hand of God that lifted me up and pulled me through every single time. Even though I walked away from him, he never walked away from me. And this overwhelming revelation of his love, of his compassion, of his unrelenting pursuit of us and his mercy brought me to a place and said, Lord Jesus, I cannot do it. But you can. But you can. Please help me. The moment I said those words, my tears stopped. And as if I felt a hand reach into my heart, lift me up and said, yes, now let's get going. And I never looked back on my life. I'd experienced the grace of the living God. And I'd said nothing more than to seek him and desiring every single step of the way of my life and every single day that I arise and open my eyes. I want to seek you with all of my heart because that's just the minimum that you deserve for all that you've done through me, through your son, Jesus Christ. Can we all relate to that? Can we all relate to coming to a place of coming to the understanding of the grace of the living God in our lives? You see, Jacob was the same. He deserved absolutely nothing. But this phase, revelation, brought him to a place to serve God more than anything before. This will bring us to a place to desire to seize that life. Some of us want it. Some of us need it. And some of us are so in awe of the grace and the love of God that we desire nothing else but to seize it with all our might and with all our strength. What will happen when we come to this revelation? What will happen when we come to this place? You won't desire to wake up and read the Bible because you've been told that that's a good thing that Christians do. You'll wake up thirsty and hungry the first words that come to your mouth when you open your eyes is, Lord Jesus, good morning. You'll scramble through your home to get to that Bible because you know it's living and powerful and you know nothing more that God wants to pour out more of his revelation, more of his understanding, reveal more and more of himself to you through his written word, through the living word. You'll desire it more than anything. You won't just pray because you know it's a good spiritual discipline to do. You'll rise up and seek him in everything you do. You'll want to commune with him. You'll feel so much what he feels and you'll see so much of what he dislikes and you'll desire so much to intercede and to pray for the lost, for the sick, for the hurting, for his kingdom come and for his will to be done in your life and in the world around you. It will bring you to a place to want to pray. You won't just wake up at 5.30 every day to do communion and pray because you read it in a book of Smith Wigglesworth and that's what he did every day. No, you'll come alive and you'll want to do those things for yourself. You won't just journal because you think it's good and a good discipline to write down some of the things that you learned in the, in the lecture or, or, or on, a, on a message that you'd seen on YouTube or in the Sunday service. You'll be journaling frantically and going through notepads that you can never buy enough of them to keep up because God is just pouring and pouring, pouring out His, his revelation to you. 
you just won't be able to contain it. The insights that it gives you, the revelation and the knowledge of him, coming to understand the lex, breadth, depths and heights of his callings for your life, coming to see and pull back the veil of the infinite majesty and glory in the kingdom of who he is and all that he is and the creation that he has made. You'll be writing, you'll be typing like never before. When you come to a revelation of the living God, you'll desire nothing more than to seize him in everything that you do. To evangelize. You won't just be told by your cell leader to go and evangelize. He'll be having to hold you back to evangelize. Because you're burning yourself out. Because you're just desiring that this revelation you've had of a loving God, of a gracious God... I want to go out there on the streets. I need that person to know that the way he's going is going to lead to destruction. But the way that I've learned to go is going to lead to life. I need you to know it. You'll desire it. And you'll proclaim it everywhere you go in everything that you do. In your workplace, in your family. You're just going for a coffee. You'll tell the attendant there about the goodness and the love of the living God. So some of us need it. Some of us want it. And some of us just have to have it because we've come to know the goodness and the majesty of our living God. But there also comes a time when you'll desire it more than you desire life itself. You will come to a time when you desire the life, capital L, of the living God more than you desire your very own life. Over 10 years ago now, I was on a ship heading to West Africa on an exercise in Sierra Leone. It's going to be a hard exercise. Six weeks in the jungle. And I got a hold of a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. On a 10-day journey from England to West Africa, all we had time to do was to eat, sleep, go to the gym, and read. And that's all I did. And I was reading a book of Fuchs' Book of Martyrs about men and women of God who have laid down their life for the gospel. And this one story, I cannot remember. I remember inklings of stories, but this one story that I've read has never, ever left me. I can't remember the exact details, but it, I remember it was a communist country. Christianity was outlawed, and if you were caught practicing Christianity, then you'd be thrown in prison, or in some serious cases, killed. I remember the story. There was a home of people worshipping God, doing a Bible study, and the guards and the police came in. They broke into that home and they arrested these men. Remember correctly, there was five of them. And they frog-marched them down. Peak winter in this communist country, I think it was either Russia or China, and they threw them into this frozen river or lake. And the guards carried on to light a fire by the side of the river. And these men were there freezing. And the guards said to them, if you renounce your faith in the Lord Jesus, then you can come out of the river and you can warm yourself by this fire. None of them moved until one point, one of the men broke dying of hypothermia. He walked out of the river, said, I renounce my faith. And they allowed him to begin to warm themselves by the fire, while the others slowly drifted into hypothermia and unconsciousness for refusing to renounce the name of the Lord Jesus. This one guard, who one minute was against them, and going to kill them, turned and said, I will take his place. That guard walked into the river, and that's where they all died. 
Now, I can't guarantee this, but I believe that there was such a glory of the living God that descended upon that place at that moment, that that God, even in the face of death, desired so much more the life of God than he desired his own life. Whatever those men have, whatever those men are living for, I want it more than I want life itself. You can imagine the next scene where those men finally died. That there they were in heaven before the living God having a standing of ovation for their courage and their resilience. There comes a time when you desire this life-giving power and glory of the living God more than we desire life itself. came to a place in my own life on the same journey where I was pressing into the things of God, heading out to West Africa, when I, for myself, for my own journey, came face to face to the presence of the living God. We eventually made our way. I spent the whole time worshipping God, reading the things of God. I couldn't get enough of this God. And what, I had a tiny Bible a pocket-sized Bible that I wrapped up security and tight and waterproofed it so it wouldn't get damaged. And I put it in the top of my Bergen, top of my backpack that we had taken to the jungle with us. So when we're doing our river crossings, when we're out in the torrential tropical storms, that it wouldn't get damaged. And every night, I would put up my hammock, I would put up my shelter, and it was as if my Bergen, my backpack was coming alive because I was so thirsty to get in there and get to this small Bible to break it open and begin to learn more and more of this goodness of the living God and get more and more of his revelation. Some things are hard to describe. But there came a time as I was reading the Bible pitch black dark, could not see my hand in front of my face, lifted up my cover above my head, opened up my small Bible that was in the King James Version, had my small head torch, and I begin to read, and I remember it being the book of Matthew, and then I was reading, I felt a warmth come over me, because at last, having a tough day, hurting, trekking through the jungle, I came to a place of rest to be able to spend the time with what I loved doing the most, and that was with my God through his word and learning more about him. Just as I began to read, struggling to understand, I was a young Christian, and I struggled to follow the King James Version in the Old English and understand all the parables. It goes on about this man buried this Mount and this man buried this mount and this man attained this much and that a man attained that. I couldn't quite understand what was going on. But I carried on reading it just because of the life of it that it was giving me. But as I read, hard to describe, but as if the words of the Bible came jumping out before me. So much did it come alive and jump out before me that I was almost pinned back in my hammock, in my bed. And then at that very moment, it was as if something was narrating to me in my spirit, in my being, telling me and speaking to me all the scriptures, and they all made perfect sense. The speed to which this Bible was being narrated to me in my spirit was faster than my eyes could read the pages. And it became so much faster and so much revelation that I just had to lay down my Bible on my chest and just absorb it. At that very moment, a huge, huge clap of thunder thumped by the side of my head and shook the whole jungle floor. 
and I felt over to my left-hand side like a tsunami, like a tidal wave, begin to unapologetically surge through the jungle to my left hand, pouring itself in. And the closer it got, the more this weight was pinning me down in my hammock. The weight was so strong and the presence was so thick that I had to close my eyes. I daren't look to what I may see. I grabbed hold of my hammock and I pulled my head into the side of the canvas, not wanting to look. The overwhelming glory, the overwhelming fear that I was experiencing, that this presence would obliterate me like that. And that's being generous. It could destroy me faster than any amount of time could destroy me. Like the scripture said, I felt like vapor in its sight. I felt like a grain of sand amidst all the beaches of this world. I felt insignificant. I felt nothing. The power was overwhelming and consuming me and pushing me down into my hammock. As it engulfed me, the only thing I could think of saying from the depths of my heart were these words. Glory, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Glory, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Glory, glory, Lord God Almighty. I knew for as long as I kept on saying those words repeatedly, maybe this presence would have mercy on me. As I kept on saying those words repeatedly, the fear that I was experiencing, I've never felt in my life. But woven in the midst of this tremendous fear and reverence and awe of this incredible experience, this incredible, what I know now to be the living God before me, was woven so much love and so much grace, so much compassion, and so much mercy. It stood upright. It stood strong. It was unapologetic. It was the great I am. But in the midst of it, it was merciful. It was good. I was petrified to my core, like words could never describe. But I knew it was good, and I knew it was on my side. Just at that point then, as I was rolled over, covering my head and feeling its presence, trying to ride this storm that I was experiencing, I felt a presence come in behind me as if it was walking to behind. And as it stood behind me, daring to look rigid, fixed to my point, scared to even breathe, it was as if I felt in my spirit a hand coming down to reach out, to touch me. But the moment it got near to touch me, I would be petrified and I couldn't receive what this hand wanted to touch me to do. But I knew it was good. And I started to speak from my spirit and I said, please, please touch me. But I didn't know what would happen if it did. And it came down again to come down and touch me. And just as it got close, again, I flipped, and I wouldn't allow it to touch me. Now getting more and more comfortable with this presence, it came down for the third time. I said, please give me strength to not fear that you may touch me. And as the hand came down for the last time, it got just before me, and I twitched again. And the presence lifted up. The presence spoke a few words, personal words into my spirit. And then this weight of glory and majesty just started to lift from the jungle. And I was left there, just a mere man 
on my knees, having experienced, I know now, to be the living God. That was a defining moment in my life. No matter what I have faced, no matter what I have come to, I desired and knew that this living God was with me and was for me and was not against me. And though it was hard, although it's been tough, although we've gone through trials, as long as we've been brutal, we've been bruised emotionally, spiritually, mentally, whatever it is, there's a core, rooted anchor deep within us who knows that we serve a living God. And it's this life that we come to seize every single day. That is the presence. That is what we're seeking for every day and through this word in everything we do. Let's stand to our feet here this afternoon, Kenton Temple. Let's just bow our heads where we are right now. Just open up your hearts, open up your minds to the living God. Just yield to his majesty and his glory right now. We serve an awesome God. Some of us need it. Some of us want it. Some of us have come to such a tremendous revelation of his goodness upon his life where he's lifted us up and he's pulled us through. That all we want to do is to live for him and to seize that life. Some of you here this afternoon need that life-giving power for you. Some of you want to reach for it like never before. The fear of man has become an obstacle to you. The desires of this age have become a hindrance to you. But today and to start 2015, you want a new revolution within. You want that life within to come fully alive. You desire to reach out and to seize that power and that glory that I tried to describe just then through my experience. You're thirsty for it. You're like the woman with the issue of blood who needs to press through the crowd. You're like the four men with a paralytic man who needs to break through and you can't see a way in the natural. But you're going to make any way you possibly can to press through that crowd, to break through the roof of that building and to enter into the life and presence of the living God that lives in the midst of that place. Maybe you're a Jacob who's come to the place of revelation that you've deserved nothing in our lives like all of us, absolutely nothing. But more and more you're coming to the revelation and understanding that it's nothing what we can do, nothing we can achieve but only by his pure grace and of him pouring out his love and his mercy and his compassion upon us. Knowing that he'll work everything together for your good and for your glory in your life. I want to encourage you today, those who want to seize the life of the living God afresh and anew for this year ahead. As we go on to worship the living God right now, I want to encourage you. Don't let the fear of man be a snare. Don't let the enemy deceive you that what you've done is too big for the living God to forgive. Don't think for a second that the obstacle and the mountain you see before you is too big for the glory and the majesty of the living God to remove and bring down low that he may exalt you high into his glory. 
as we worship the living God, press through the crowd here this afternoon. Break your way through the roof of that building and come and get a fresh touch from heaven. Let this be a moment, a line drawn in the sand saying, Lord, I'm going to rise and shine. I'm going to desire you more than I desire life itself. I want to experience your glory and your majesty. And I want to step into that river, whether it be freezing cold or whatever it might be, I don't care. I just want to be in your presence. And I just want to serve you. I just want to seize your life. And I just want to live for you. Philippians 3, 7 says, But what, what things were a gain to me? These I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. The Apostle Paul looked back on his life said all those things I count for rubbish but this one thing I desire is Lord Jesus Christ and the living God. Psalm 27 4 says one thing I ask from the Lord this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Let that be our prayer for 2015, that we desire nothing but him and to seek him in his temple, to press in deep inside us into that deposit that's been made through his grace and to lay a hold of that seed, to nurture it, to fan it into flames and the life of the living God to come alive in each and every one of us to overflowing. As we go on and worship right now, as we go on to worship right now, come forth if you want to touch from the living God today. If you want to make it a declaration that you want to reach out and seize that life afresh and anew for your life today. For those of you here that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, then I encourage you step forward and take that opportunity to take a hold of that resurrected life here today. For those who have drifted away from the Lord and you've turned cold, may 2015 be the year that you come on fire for Him once again, that you desire Him above all things. Let's worship the Lord right now. Let's declare His glory. And if that is spoken to you here today and you want to press through that ground, then come forward and we want to pray to you here this afternoon. Let's lift up our voices and let's lift up our hearts.